Friends, we are in week three of our teaching series titled Spiritual Habits. And today we're going to be talking about um, not by bread alone. And we're going to be bouncing around scripture this morning from Genesis to Deuteronomy to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to talk about fasting as a spiritual practice this morning, which is everyone's favorite spiritual practice. I was intending to get some Krispy Kremes and set them on stage as an illustration this morning, but I thought that might not be the best way to start a discussion on fasting. But today, I am excited about talking about what fasting can do and how it is still an effective and meaningful practice in our culture today. Because sometimes, sometimes, there are some practices of our faith that don't always seem like they're effective or relevant to our current time and culture. And fasting is one of those things that often seems like it has fallen away in our modern culture, but it truly is a very meaningful practice when done correctly. So we're going to talk about what that looks like. And again, this is a teaching series, and so there'll be some practical application points today on how to fast in a healthy manner. Um, Not weight loss fasting, but spiritual fasting. But we'll get there in just a few minutes. Let's take a moment to be in prayer together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be gathered in your name because it's in your name that we are here. It's because of you, because you sent your Son to die for us, to bring us new life, to give us a new hope for a better future. God, we are so grateful for that hope, for all that you bring into our lives, and that's why we're here. God, we ask that you would invade this space and this place, that you would use the words, the music, the silence, the pauses, and everything that will happen in this time of worship, Lord. Be present. Speak to us in a new way. Move in our hearts and our lives. As Wesley says, Lord, Lord, happen to him, we invite you to to strangely warm our hearts this day, Lord. Move in this worship service so that we would experience you and encounter you, Lord. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray, and the people of God said, amen. Have you ever, um, ever struggled with choosing to go without Personally, this is something that I've struggled with. Um, I know that you wouldn't guess that by looking at me, but um, honestly, it is something that um, I often find myself struggling with, choosing choosing to go without. And my issue is not a matter of like a generational entitlement where, you know, as as though I deserve something that I didn't earn. Instead, my challenge is is wrestling with the reality that that I live in a time and and a culture where I live in a time, or we live in a time and a culture of overabundance. We really do. We, we live in a time and a culture of overabundance and being faced with, with so many choices, just so many choices and so much abundance. I'm, I'm often driven to, to question my willingness to maintain my moderation. And the question that often lingers in my mind is, why not? Why not? Let me explain. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, recently, I went to a local Big B to get a cup of coffee. I do drink coffee. 
if you didn't know that. It's one of my favorite things in the world is coffee. Um, and since my kids were with me, I was going to get some chocolate milk or hot cocoa. Um, but when I looked at the menu above the, the coffee uh, shop window there, I wasn't even sure where to begin because coffee was not on the menu, apparently. <laughs> and, and so I looked off to the side because I know the baristas would have like their magical formula of like magical coffees that they make on their own that's not on the menu, thinking that maybe one of the baristas would be kind of normal and be like, this is my recommendation coffee-flavored coffee, but no. Um, anyways, I, I, I picked some, some strange concoction that someone had recommended because I often go with recommendations, and, and I decided on my drink, and I get up to, and I go to the counter, and I go, okay, so I'm going to get that thing that so-and-so wants, and I'd like some uh, chocolate milk for my kids. Three chocolate milks, please. Um, and I learned they don't have chocolate milk at Big B. Did you know that? Oh, I'm sorry, we have magic milk. thinking that this was a clever, clever coffee house example, or like a clever coffee house name for milk, I said, okay, I'll have three magic milks for my kids, please. Um, what flavor would you like them? Um, I, I, and I soon, and I said, okay, well, what flavor do they come in? And it, it took me about a half a second to realize that was not the correct question to ask the barista because... Um, as the, they started rattling off all of the flavor combinations that you could get for coffee, I realized that magic milk can come in any flavor that you want it to come in because it can be flavored like any coffee can be flavored. And so I said, does it come in chocolate? Of course, it's one of our most popular flavors. <laughs> I would like three chocolate magic milks what I ordered. <laughs> do you want that with ice? Do I, 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 do I? Yes, you do. Okay, I would like it with ice, please. Do you want whipped cream? Mm-hmm. Yes, please, I, whipped cream, yeah. Uh, and sprinkles? Mm-hmm, yeah. And, and uh, do you want the chocolate sauce or the caramel or both? Uh, yeah. My kids loved them. I think they did. They were like six bucks a piece. <sighs> I should have stopped at the gas station. But now I know better. Here's my point. Here's my point. We live in a culture in America of customization and options. And when faced with so many choices, I am often tempted to respond with, why not? You know, I was reading a recent article by the, the, where they interviewed the CEO of Starbucks, which stated that the standard local Starbucks has over 80,000 options for coffee. 80,000 option, co combinations of options. And with so many options, with so many choices, why not have an extra shot light whip and low ice? Why not? And that's just coffee. Coffee. The fact is, as, as I go about my daily life, day to day, just living my life, I am confronted with so many options that merely choosing one or two or three things, sometimes that feels like moderation to me. Just choosing a couple things. And then when I read about Jesus' teachings about fasting and the spiritual practice of fasting, 
I struggle. I, I do, because you see, sometimes ordering a regular coffee at the coffee shop, instead of a venti skinny mocha frappuccino with a double shot, add chips, no whip, and, you know, it feels like a fast. It does. It feels as though I've given something up. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but maybe not. But it, Have you ever struggled with saying no to something? Ever chosen to go without? I mean, has abundance in life ever, ever clouded your vision so that you could, where you, so you found yourself saying to yourself, why not? Why not have a little bit more? When faced with all of the options, why not? Why not? It's just, it's just an extra large fry and a Coke. Why, why not? It's, it's, just a, it's, a, it's just a 65-inch TV. It's not the biggest TV. At the Best Buy, why not? Why not? It's not like working out today is really going to make that big of a difference. Why not? Why choose to go without when you don't have to? Why, why not live with just a little bit of extravagance? Why choose to go hungry when there's food within reach? So why fast? What's the reason? What, what's the point? Well, the answer is simple. It's very simple. The reason we fast, the reason why fasting is a spiritual practice and has been through the history of the church is because that fasting helps us to set aside the abundance of life the abundance of life, so that we can find abundance in life. Fasting helps us to set aside the abundance of life so we can set aside or find the abundance in life. And by setting aside our abundance, we can experience God's abundance. You see, left to our own devices, left to our own devices, we continue to consume more and more and more and more and more. And this has been our nature. This has been who we've been since the creation of the world and since humankind came into existence. All we have to do is look back to the, to the creation account, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And let's, let's go back. Genesis chapter 3. It's a fun story. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say to you, you may not eat the fruit from the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit in the tree of the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat, God said. You must not eat or even touch it, for if you do, you will die. You're not gonna die, said the serpent to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And here's, here's what I want you to hear from this. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She wanted the wisdom that it would give her. And so she took the fruit, and she ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. You see, the want and the desire for more, the abundant life, it's alluring. 
and, and it's, it, has a, it has the potential to trap us. It caught Adam and Eve, both. And in a way, abundance and, and the desire for more and that vexing question of, why not? Why not? Broke our world. And it broke our relationship with God. And, and here's the thing. It, this, it has the potential to break our lives even today. Today. You see, the, the temptation that abundance, abundance brings is not just a, a past problem that like, plagued Adam and Eve. It's, it's an ever-present danger in our daily lives that we live in today. And this is why fasting is still an essential spiritual practice for us today as modern Christians. You see, Adam and Eve wrestled with this, with this struggle to, that we struggle with today. And it's a desire, it's, it's very simple, it's a desire for self-sufficiency. It's, they wanted to be able to do things on their own. That desire for that wisdom, I can make it on my own. Well, well and up until the fact that they found out that doing it on their own meant getting kicked out of the, God's paradise, that kind of, not so great for them. But their struggle was not only with obeying the rules, though, that God had put in place. There was, a, there was this greater conflict that they, that they failed to uphold that, that we are also struggle with, and that's, that's this idea of dependence. They failed to remain dependent on God. You see, where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus remained faithful. You see, the story of humankind began with Adam and Eve failing to remain obedient to God, right? And they sought independence uh, to know everything for themselves. They wanted that wisdom. They wanted to know it all. They wanted to be able to do it all on their own. And in, in their attempting to know everything, they, they unwittingly expressed a desire for, for freedom from God. However, when Jesus entered his life in ministry, unlike Adam and Eve, unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus remained dependent on God, and we find it in the book of Matthew in chapter 4. So I'm going I'm to turn to the gospel of Matthew chapter 4, where we find these words. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, the tempting of Jesus in the by the devil in the wilderness, this is, this is what you call a parallel story. Um, it parallels different narratives throughout the Bible. Um, it parallels the story of the Israelites in the Exodus. Um, Jesus was wandering through the wilderness for 40 days fasting, and he was starving, right? And the Israelites were wandering the desert for 40 years in the desert, starving. Remember the manna from heaven, right? The, the number 40 days, 40 nights, Something about an ark and a bunch of water. It was a parallel story. Yeah. We'll flip to Deuteronomy. A little refresher course. Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character 
and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, unlike the Israelites, when they wandered in the wilderness and complained and argued with God and who failed to follow God's commandments about the manna, he said, you know, collect what you need for the day, but then don't eat any, don't take extra um, because I'm going to provide for you. And then they just stored it up and it all rotted. Jesus responds differently. Jesus could have used his power to turn the stones into bread. Like Jesus could have said, bread, poof, all right, Panera. I envision Jesus only eating Panera bread. Like, that's my thing, you know. I, I think that if he was going to make bread, it would be like Panera. But I, I, he could have done that. Jesus could have made those stones into bread. But if he would have, he would have been using his God-given power independent of his Father's will. He would have taken God's power into his own hands to save himself, a power that was given to him to save other people. But if Jesus did, not, Jesus did not let himself get swayed by that alluring temptation to self-sufficiency, to save himself, he didn't choose to feed himself or to save himself. Instead, he decided to remain dependent and obedient to God. No, he says the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Obedience and dependence. These are two big words, two big words that are filled with authority. To be obedient means to be submissive. To be submissive to someone who is, in, who is empowered, a ruling person or a ruling party. And to be dependent means to rely on another for, for the most essential things in your life. You can't get by without the person you're dependent on. And to do either of those things requires you to take a subordinate role, a secondary role. And maybe, maybe not so much in your life, but in my life, we're taught never to take a secondary role. You don't take a secondary role in life. You're the main character of your movie of life. We're taught at a young age never to let anyone boss us around like that. We're too good for that. Have pride, man. Your name means something. And therein lies the problem. All that we strive for in this life, the pursuits of our ambition in the secular world, we strive for one primary purpose. We, we strive for self-sufficiency. We really do. You see, even like our work lives... In our work lives, we, we, are, we focus and strive on advancement until we achieve a high enough position to wield the highest authority we can so that we can have the authority. Our financial goals are based upon what it will take to gain enough money, enough monetary wealth, not to merely survive, but so that we don't have to rely on anyone else ever again. It's not about paying the bills. It's about saving enough money so that we never have to rely on anyone else for the rest of our lives. That's our investment portfolios. Even our desires for our purchase choices, 
reflect the same pattern. It's not about buying a car that gets us from point A to point B. It's about buying the best car that will never break down so I can be self-sufficient. All of these things, all of this stuff, all of the money, all of the authority, all the possessions, all the positions, they all, it's like we think they can provide for us all that we need to live, but Jesus says, no, Scripture says, people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, the material that we strive for doesn't give us the life that Jesus died for. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. The material that we strive for doesn't give us the life that Jesus died for. You see, the spiritual practice of fasting is one way that we are able to set aside the abundance in life and focus on God's abundance. In ancient times, the Jews... The Jews fasted to show sorrow for sin and, and as a way to avert divine judgment. You know, I'm fasting so God doesn't strike me down. And in Jesus' time, the, the Pharisees often fasted vicariously for, the, for Israel. The Pharisees would fast so that Israel wouldn't receive divine judgment. Scripture also tells us that John the Baptist's disciples fasted as a way to prepare for the coming Messiah. And so when Jesus taught about fasting, he was talking about a common practice that was used by the people in, in times of great mourning, like when someone they loved had passed away, um, in times of, of, of penitence and prayer. And this is what Jesus taught. In Matthew 6, during the Sermon on the Mount, he said, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, Hypocrites, he's talking about the, the religious leaders again. For they try to look miserable and disheveled, and so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, implying that his disciples are going to fast, right? When you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Just as we learned last week, the people who were religious kind of got things wrong. They missed the point on fasting. This passage teaches us a few things about fasting that we can directly apply today. So let's look at them. First thing that we can see Jesus teaching is that fasting is between you and God. Fasting is something that's between you and God. Jesus is clear that the religious leaders are fasting for the wrong reasons. They are fasting so that people will admire their pious works. They'll admire them because they're fasting. It's like Jesus is saying, if you have to tell people you're fasting, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. If you have to tell people you're doing it, you're not doing it for the right reasons. The practice of fasting has everything to do with your relationship with God and nothing to do with what other people think about you. The second thing is, fasting is a Sunday best event. Now, a lot of folks don't dress up for Sunday anymore, but it used to be people would dress up for, for church 
And so when I say a Sunday best event, that's what I mean. It's a dress-up event. The religious leaders of the day were making fasting this, this theatrical event. They were playing it up, yucking it up, because they wanted everyone to know they were fasting, covering them with ashes, burlap, and all of this. And, and Jesus says they're trying to look miserable and disheveled. Oh, I'm fasting. But Jesus is telling his followers, when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face. He says, put on your Sunday best so that no one knows you're fasting. Why? Because fasting is meant to be a practice kept between the individual and God. Dress up, face the world. Let your fast be between you and God. Third thing, fasting comes with a reward. The reward that Jesus is talking about is not hunger. <laughs> we all know that when you don't eat, you get hungry. That's just a natural byproduct. Jesus is clear, though, that when we fast and keep our focus on God, when we keep our focus on God, that God grants us a reward. And Jesus is speaking about a spiritual reward, and the reward is very simple. That reward is connection with God. Communion with God, relationship with God. And so let's turn to this, this practice of fasting. What is it? How do we do it? What can we gain from it? Fasting, in its simplest form, is going without food. Or anything else, any other material pleasure that we regular enjoy, regularly enjoy for the sake of of a spiritual practice. Fasting is not skipping a meal. Fasting is choosing to set aside the material, the abundant in our lives, for a little while to focus on a spiritual, the spiritual instead. Remember, by setting aside our abundance, we experience God's abundance. See, just skipping a meal is not a fast. Just skipping a meal is not a fast. Choosing not to eat and reading your Bible instead is. Giving up soda for a day, if you rarely drink soda, is not a fast. Deciding to forego your morning cup of coffee and spending that 10 minutes you normally drink and think in the morning in prayer is. You see, the spiritual habit of fasting has two parts. One is giving up something material, material that you regularly enjoy. And the second is deciding, or is, de is dedicating that time you spent on that something that you enjoy on a spiritual purpose. You see, fasting is not, and not, not, not at all, at all, no way, no how, an easy spiritual practice. It is much harder than it sounds because skipping a meal in a fast is not the same as postponing a meal until after your prayer time. Fasting is not postponing. It's literally, you're not going to eat it at all. You're not making up for it later. It's not doing it at all. So it's a simple concept, it's, yet it's hard to live out in our world as we live in so much abundance and choices but when we desire self-sufficiency, we still have to ask ourselves, why choose to go without? Why go hungry? And so we have to be reminded that when we set aside our abundance, 
we experience God's abundance. And that reward, that reward is the biggest thing. That connection with God at a deeper level. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people ask me, how do I connect with God at a deeper level? But so many times we're not willing to give up anything to achieve it. Experiencing God's abundance in our life, growing in our faith and the knowledge of Christ, these are the reasons why we choose to go without. But it's not easy. This week, I'm, I'm challenging you to try to fast. Find out how you grow through the practice of fasting. And to help you out, I want to give you some advice to help you begin the spiritual practice of fasting um, throughout this week. So the first thing I want to tell you to do is start with something small. Okay, Start with something small. If you're going to fast from food, um, make sure you're healthy enough to skip a meal first. Not everyone can can skip a meal, but, but don't skip all the meals of a day. Skip a meal. My experience of fasting tells me that the easiest meal to try to skip first is breakfast because your body's used to not running on any calories at that time. And so the easiest meal to begin fasting from is usually breakfast. Second, you need to focus on what you're going to do. Remember that fasting requires not only giving something up that you enjoy. I love my bacon and eggs. I love my bacon more than my eggs. I should just say I love bacon. It's giving up something that you enjoy and taking that time for something spiritual. Fasting and prayer historically have gone together. John Wesley put those together as a means of grace, fasting and prayer together always. Bible reading and fasting also are a a dedicated combination. I use fasting during my during critical times in my life as well, and times of, of critical discernment, and, and even sometimes during visioning process and, and message preparation. But by focusing on what you're going to do during your time of fasting, it's a whole lot easier to not think about cheeseburgers. And you're much more likely to remain focused on your spiritual growth. So focus on what you're going to do. Third thing, don't forget about the people in your life. Make sure you think about how your fast is going to affect the people that you love. If your family is traditionally a family dinner family, don't fast from dinner. Think about the people in your life and how it's going to affect them. You have responsibilities if you're husband, father, wife, mother, grandparent. If you have Sunday meal and all of your grandkids come over, don't fast on Sunday. Right? Be conscious of the people around you. Be aware of how your fast will impact the people you love. Fourth, fast from something that's not food. You don't have to fast from food. Some people should not fast from food. If you have a medical condition, don't fast from food. The purpose of fasting is to set aside our abundance to commune commune with God. Choose something you enjoy. You can fast from food. You can fast from the TV. You can fast from Facebook. Your cell phone? Nobody throw anything at me. You could fast from crafting. Fast from woodworking. Fast from 
something that you enjoy for a small piece of time to do something else. Pick something that you enjoy that's hard to give up. That's the whole point. Giving up the abundance, set aside our abundance as we experience God's abundance. Because here's the thing, when the lights go down and the curtain draws on the end of the day, the question that we are left with is the same one that vexed Adam and Eve in the garden and, and the people of Israel as they, as they were walking around during the exodus and Jesus as he's tempted in the desert by the devil himself. Do we as modern Christians, do we as modern Christians seek self-sufficiency? Do we seek wisdom and knowledge over dependence on God? Do we try to use the power that God has given us to feed others to feed ourselves? In a world of abundance where we never have to go without, is there a reason why we would choose to go without? Is there a reason why this practice of fasting could be beneficial? Could saying no to something in our lives honestly draw us closer to God? The only way to find out, the only way that we will ever know is to give it an honest go. I, I want you to try it. I want you to try it. Fast and pray. Fast. Read the Bible. And as Jesus said, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it, it is hard to choose to go without. It is challenging to suffer knowingly, even though it is only momentarily. But we know that, that when we decide to set aside our abundance, we can experience your abundance in this life. Lord, speak to us this week as we choose to fast from something, something that we enjoy, and meet us in our time of fasting as we focus intentionally on you. God, we ask that you would carry us through. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and our Savior that we pray. Amen.